wide open my cousin once rode into the back of a parked car because she was riding her bike with her eyes closed she did you don't remember that not really victoria yeah why was she riding with her eyes closed she wanted to see what it felt like that's what i asked too (laughs) she was like nine there's a few stories in our family people riding into the back of parked cars yeah dad did that too it was a lot more ruinous for dad but uh he really messed up his teeth and his lip and yeah his teeth went through his lip yeah uh victoria wasn't quite so traumatic but yeah she did ride into the back of a parked car and when i said why because I had my eyes closed. Why did you have your eyes closed? I wanted to see what it would feel like. Okay. She's a very smart lady now. She just was <laughs> well, a child. I mean, I remember doing some really stupid things as a kid. Yeah. My Our neighbors came back from a trip and gave me a silver and turquoise ring. And I was just little, like in oh. kindergarten. And I was playing and I wanted to pretend I found it. So <laughs> I buried it. In a construction field. I can't believe my parents let me play in a construction field. <laughs> well, Dad us. used to play in a gravel pit. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, it was Children just Children like, just didn't get hurt. If they come home for the me- meals, we don't worry about what yeah, happens they're fine. to the day. Literally, anyway, obviously, I buried it in all this dirt, walked away, came back to try to find it. How would you find Aww, it, right? Oh, that's sad. Yeah, my parents are like, why did you do that? Because I'm little. <laughs> I'm a baby. <laughs> and I do die. Something. <laughs> uh, anyway. And kudos to Victoria for having the presence of, like, for knowing. I just wanted to know what it felt like. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I probably would have been like, I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a good idea at the time. <laughs> I, uh, speaking of eyes wide open, I am not a super observant person. Do mm. you, are you observant? Do you you know that yourself? I'm not. Well, I don't know. Do I? I know I'm not. I mean, so one of the things that happens quite regularly is we'll be on a major road. You know, like sometimes it'll be Deerfoot Trail, which is like the major freeway north yeah. and south in Calgary. Yeah. Um, and suddenly, like suddenly, Randy will put on the brakes and quickly pull over to the shoulder of the road, hop out of the car and run back. And you're just like. Bye. What just happened? <laughs> it's because he he saw a tool on the road, like a wrench or a I don't know bungee cord or a, <laughs> a bungee cord. Uh, I don't know that he pulls over for a bungee uh, cord. Maybe not. Um, anyway, he sees something lying on the road that's got value, and yeah. so he goes back and get it. I never see stuff laying in the road. That's unsettling. I mean, I guess if I'm driving, I would, but I certainly wouldn't. <laughs> pull over to get it i mean if it was like a cute pair of shoes or something maybe i would just assume they don't fit me because my feet are so teeny (laughs) Uh, yeah so i am not particularly observant um another thing that happens between your dad and me all the times we'll be watching a movie or tv show and he'll go He'll point out an inconsistency in the shooting. Those things I'll notice. Do I'll you? notice continuity errors. I do like, not. You were holding a glass in that last shot. Where yeah. did that go? Or your hair was parted on the other side. Or Which, like, if it's parted on the other, that's a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's whole departments to make sure that doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I mean, now that I've lived with him for over 40 years, noticing things like that, I'm, 
a little bit more observant, but that is not one of my big things. Um, a couple of years ago, I agreed to cancer, uh, Canvas for, I don't know if it was cancer, diabetes, or some other foundation. I think it was MS. Okay. Because I'm pretty sure story? I was there. Um, I don't remember the story, but I remember doing it. Oh, really? okay. Well, this was probably another time because okay. I was alone. Okay. Um, and I, I agreed not because I felt any great commitment to the cause, I guess, but I, I thought, obviously, because I can't even remember what it was, but I, I agreed because I thought it would be a good way to meet some of my neighbors. Mm. And so the problem was I was pretty busy and I kept putting it off. Um, but because I didn't want to totally forget about it, I left the envelope containing my instructions on the kitchen counter. Well, one day I was preparing supper for the family and we had a guest coming and I decided I should open the envelope thinking, oh, I better check and see when this has to be done. I didn't want to miss the deadline. Well, I scanned the cover letter and I discovered to my horror that the deadline was that day. In fact, I had an hour to canvas something like 20 houses and just half an hour before our guest was going to arrive for supper. Oh my goodness, that gives me such anxiety. Uh, oh yeah, so I shoved the food I'd been making in the oven and I took off down the street like a cat out of the bath. I didn't even take time to use the sidewalks to get oh, to people's houses. No, I was... Running across lawns. I was. I was leaping hedges in a single bound and going as quickly as I could from one front door to the next, secretly hoping the dweller wouldn't be home so that I could sprint off to the next house. At one house, a, a young guy, maybe 14 years old, opened the door and I said, is your mom home? I asked, you know, trying to conceal my panting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, she's not feeling right now, he answered. Okay, I replied. Maybe when she's feeling better, you can give her this brochure. And if she wants to, she can send in a donation. He nodded, closed the door. I turned around, took off at a counter, only to notice for the first time, there was an ambulance parked in front of the house. Oh, no! <laughs> not feeling well, the boy had said. And now I'm starting to connect the dots, right? Oh, no. I stopped midway down the driveway. I looked back at the house only to see this obviously weak woman, presumably the boy's mom, being led by the EMTs to the waiting <laughs> ambulance. And I said this right out loud. I said, what kind of an idiot canvases a house with an ambulance in front of it? <laughs> Did they have lights on? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean... Who does that? <laughs> Only someone in too big a hurry. Only someone completely absorbed in her own little world. Only a person who is so focused on her own agenda that she misses what's really going on. Someone so obsessed by the urgent that she's oblivious to the important. So maybe having her eyes wide open isn't super important in day-to-day -day life, but it is of huge importance as it relates to eternal life. While making ourselves aware of what's going on around us can actually affect someone's life and, and even where they spend eternity. One day, under the hot African sun, a professional photographer named, ironically, Kevin Carter, uh, snapped a photo that made the whole world weep. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know what this is. I hate this story, oh. and I hate that this person has my name. Yeah. So it was March 11th, 1993, and Carter landed in the Sudan, southern Sudan, with the United Nations aboard Operation Lifeline Sudan. The team was only going to be on the ground for long enough to complete a food distribution. So Kevin and another photographer used those 30 or so minutes to capture scenes of starvation in order to share them with the world. Kevin hadn't got far from the plane when he heard 
soft sounds of high-pitched whimpering, like those you might expect to come from a small wounded animal. Carter searched through the bush to find the source of these pitiful noises. He found a tiny little girl, really just a toddler. And she was so emaciated that her proportions looked ridiculous. There was this large head on scrawny shoulders, a swollen abdomen balancing on legs so spindly it seemed impossible they could even hold her up. And they didn't for long. The little girl collapsed in a heap on the ground where she tried to gather the strength to continue her painful journey to the feeding station. The distance wasn't, wasn't great, but for this little one so near death, the effort was nothing short of heroic. Carter had never seen a famine situation before, and he, 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 he watched it, you know, and, and saw the effects on this child with kind of a, a terrible fascination. Suddenly, a vulture descended. The vulture, you know, probably uh, recognized the tenuous hold on life that this little, this little to starving toddler had and, you know, was looking for a meal the vulture landed behind the little girl and Carter saw his opportunity for a career-making photograph. He got off a few shots and then waited for about 20 minutes, hoping the vulture would spread its wings for an even more dramatic shot. The vulture didn't cooperate, and so the photo that eventually won Kevin Carter a Pulitzer Prize was of the vulture patiently watching and waiting for this fragile child to die. Now, you're probably wondering what happened next. You're likely thinking Kevin lifted the child into his strong arms and carried her the rest of the way to the feeding station, right? I mean, surely he would have taken personal responsibility for her care at this point. But that isn't what happened. By his own admission, Kevin Carter chased the vulture away and then left the suffering baby to die in the dust. How could you live with that decision? Well, he didn't oh, in the end. okay. Yeah. I, to this day, uh... no one knows. I mean, we know what happened to him, but we have no idea what happened to the little baby. Did she Did she finally make it to the feeding station? Even once she'd been fed, could she have survived after so much privation? Was there anyone left to comfort and hold her in her final moments of life? Or did her death go unwitnessed and unmourned? Literally, only God knows. This disturbing story reminds me of the religious men in Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan that's recorded in Luke 10. There was someone who saw a person in distress on the way to Jericho. But somehow, two guys that arrived on the scene before the Good Samaritan managed to walk away, rationalizing, leaving him there bleeding on the side of the road. Um, do you want to read that verse there from Luke 10? Sure. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed, passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. How do you explain such callousness? The first man saw the victim and made a conscious choice to avoid the disturbing situation totally. The second man was attracted to it, like a voyeur who chases a fire truck, wanting to get in on the excitement and see the destruction. But neither of these guys saw through eyes of compassion. They were using the sight facilitated by the optic nerve, not by mm -hmm. the heart. Sight, not vision. Ah, I like that. What does someone have to say to themselves to make it okay to walk away? 
how did their internal dialogue justify withholding compassion and care? I, I suppose it maybe went something like this. Stopping now would really mess with my schedule. Or I'll get all dirty. Or whoever did this to him might get me. Or he probably wouldn't stop to help me. Now I realize these guys actually weren't thinking anything because they didn't actually exist. They were fictional characters invented by Jesus. Mm -hmm. But you know, I've heard these kinds of comments from other people. And I've heard them in my own head. Mm -hmm, me too. My natural selfishness provides me with a long litany of excuses not to wade into a messy situation. And I think, you know, maybe even on a subconscious level, we avoid the internal conversation completely by choosing what we really see. Right? The religious man in Jesus' story saw an inconvenienced, uh, inconvenience, not a traumatized human being. Tearing down the street to complete my canvassing assignment, I saw 10 more houses, not a waiting ambulance. Kevin Carter saw a dramatic shot in his viewfinder, not a precious child in desperate need of his help. We tend to see what's important for, to us. And when we do that, we often miss what's important to Jesus. To live the life we were born for, we need our eyes open. Not merely the eyes connected to our optic nerve, but the eyes connected to our hearts. Vision, not just sight, right? For me, the process of opening my eyes was a result of exposure to open-eyed people at a time when my heart was ready. It had been softened by pain and prepared by God. It was like I was seeing the world in all of its reality and misery for the first time. Sort of like It was sort of like sitting in a dark room with a rheostat, like a dimmer, slowly raising the, the level of light. Mm. And I knew that this seeing I was experiencing carried a, a glorious and terrible responsibility. I knew I could never go back to being naive, naive and oblivious again. Why is this spiritual seeing so important? Because we know who Jesus is is because we who know Jesus personally are the only ones on this planet with any solid hope. If we're not willing to open our eyes to what Jesus sees, how can we be the source of light, the speakers of truth, the lovers of people, the purveyors of hope? If we look at the world and we see only what we want to see or expect to see, then lost people are without hope and the world is truly a place of darkness and despair. I think it's interesting that Jesus said, we are the light of the world. Not that he wants us to be, or we really should be, but that we are. Mm. And so if we don't shine, the darkness is impenetrable. When I was in South Africa years ago, I learned that um, in Isizulu, um, that's the first language of about a quarter of all South Africans. But in that language, their word of greeting, their version of our hello, is Sani Bonani. And it means, I see you. I love that. What an insightful way to greet people. Mm. It, it gives dignity and significance. And I think it also differentiates the presence of one person from that of another. I see you. Yeah. It means each person's appreciated as an individual. It's validation. Yeah. Well, what would happen, do you think, if every time we met someone, we saw those words, I see you, at least in our minds, and then we took the time to actually appreciate that person's individuality, their needs, their abilities, 
you know, their, their personality. What if we even went further and asked ourselves, how can I best represent Jesus to this individual, to this precious child of God that Jesus died for because he places such immense value on this one life? I think if we truly saw each person this way, no one would be considered, you know, disposable. Mm-hmm. No one's circumstances would be too messy or costly. No one would be overlooked. I think it's important to kind of reframe the context of this. Because, like, as horrified as I am, like, seeing a child dying in heat and starvation and being like, this is a great photo op. Like, I can't fathom that. But I have absolutely driven through downtown and seen someone sleeping on the sidewalk and been like, is that person sleeping or dead? And been like, yeah, uh, they're probably fine. I can't really pull over here, so I'll just keep mm-hmm. going. Mm-hmm. Um, is there that much of a difference? Not really. One's a kid. Mm-hmm. One is someone who I can't tell if they're breathing because they're wearing, like, two coats. They're wearing right. two coats because it's winter. Right. Um, and so I think, I think it's easy... For us to dismiss something. And, and when I say us, I, I do mean myself as well. I think it's easier, certainly, to dismiss something that is part of our everyday context. Right. Um, would my eyes be open to a dying child in a desert? I mean, I, I certainly hope so. And I really think so. Mm-hmm. I really think so. I think if I saw a child in in danger anywhere, I think I would be spurred to action but if i saw someone beaten up on the side of a road where people are frequently beaten up and burgled i don't know if that was part of my normal context i don't know if i would i remember challenging my dad on this once and he was convinced that the story of the good samaritan was for everyone except his daughters ah yes of course (laughs) because he did not want us walking into a dangerous situation and thinking that was our yeah and and that's a tough one right Mm -hmm. And I remember, too, when we were in Haiti in the the earthquake and some of the decisions that were made because of the culture and because of what happens in Haiti to um, NGOs or ministry organizations, Mm -hmm. you know, some choices were made to that didn't feel biblical to me. But we just had to trust that the people who were responsible for us and who knew a lot more about Haiti and a Mm -hmm. lot more about the legalities um, knew what they were doing. Um, that was a tough one. Mm-hmm. That was a tough one. For me. Yeah. Well, and, y- y- you know, it's also, <laughs> this is not nearly as dire a situation, but I remember once you'd given me a bunch of bottles, um, like bags of bottles to take to the bottle depot. And before I managed to get there, they're still in my car. I ran into a gentleman who said, came up to me and said to me like, Hey, do you have any bottles I could take to the bottle depot? And I was like, I have several bags and like, and he saw how much I had and he was like, oh, I can only take the plastic. I can't take the glass. I can't carry it all to the bottle depot. And I was like, well, how far is the bottle depot? And he said, um, I mean, it's like a few blocks that way, but like, I'm only one person. I can't carry them all. And so he did not ask this, but I was like, get my car. I'll drive you. That could have gone so poorly. It could have gone. I could have died. Yeah. Um, And I'm not here to say it was the right or the wrong decision, but I made a decision and I'm okay 
it could have gone very poorly for yeah, me. Um, to this day, I'm like, was that stupid? Was that was that being Jesus? I'm not sure. It could be both. Um, but I, yeah, I recognize that it's hard to determine what's safe and what's calling. And and he was so kind. Like I asked to shake his hand when I dropped him off, and he wouldn't because he said he was too dirty, mm-hmm. um, which breaks my heart. But yeah, so all this to say, it's easier to overlook things when it's a context that you're used to. But also, um, safety does complicate those things. Well, especially for a woman. Especially for a woman. I mean, I would be far braver if I were with my great big husband. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though he's probably never been in a fight in his whole life, he looks tough. (laughs) Well, and he's... He's pulled over the car and been about to step into fights before. Mm. Um, and, and I remember you saying to him, what were you planning on doing? <laughs> and I remember being like, have you seen him? He's huge. <laughs> yeah, but he's he a big thrown up. Sorry. No, but if, he if he's just planning on stepping between, I, I've heard his voice when he's, he's trying to be commanding. And he, yeah. could, he could calm some people down, I'm quite certain. Yeah, for so, sure. Anyway. It, it was Just an interesting side. exercise for me to look up a bunch of times in the Gospels um, where Jesus, where, where it specifically says Jesus saw something. Mm-hmm. Here, here are some of them. He saw the disciples attempt to shoo the children away. He saw the fear of the crowds horrified and yet fascinated by evil. He saw the leadership potential in the sons of Zebedee. He saw a community's grief at the loss of a child. He saw the hypocrisy of the religious elite. He saw women in a society where they were pretty much invisible. He saw the marginalized disabled. He saw a lone woman's grief. He saw his mother grieve, his own death, even while he hung dying. How awful. Yeah, but in every case, seeing was never the end. Jesus always did something about what he saw, even from the cross. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he essentially told John to look after his mother, yes? He did, yeah. Yeah. So seeing is never enough. It's not enough for the ones we see. It's not enough for God. And it's not enough for us. Kevin Carter, the prize-winning photographer, was so disturbed by what he had seen in Sudan, but chose not to see, that he took his own life within two months of receiving the Pulitzer. The note he left for his parents read, in part, I am haunted by the vivid memories of starving or wounded children. So what have you seen that haunts you? For our own sake, for Jesus' sake, and for the sake of the world, we need to open our eyes and choose to see what Jesus sees and then act on what our eyes have let into our hearts. So how do we open our eyes? How do, like... Well, I think it starts with with prayer and just asking Jesus to help us to see what he sees. Mm -hmm. And then having that very conscious mindset, um, like in the South African language, I see you. Mm -hmm. To be curious about people and to, um, you know, ask ourselves questions, to notice expressions, Mm -hmm. to be nosy, like we said a few weeks ago in a podcast, be nosy enough or curious enough about people to... um, to be to be asking, you know, is this person okay? And this is also, and I'm about to step on a soapbox here, and I am 
speaking from a things we've talked about on the podcast in the past so it's not entirely unbiblical b psychology according to my sister who does have a degree in it and c um personal opinions i can't wait to hear what you're gonna say um this is one of the things that makes me believe that women are designed for ministry um women's uh, developmentally children um girl children female children are more social already they mirror expressions more they're more Mm. vocal the seeds of empathy are planted so early Mm. in women so partially we're socialized to be more empathetic it's a matter of safety Mm -hmm. uh realistically Mm. um there, there's flight, uh, there's fight, flight, freeze. There's also tend and befriend. Yes. And that's what a lot of women tend to do. It's, it's one of the ways we keep ourselves safe. But it's also in some ways in our neurological makeup to see and to feel. And it, it's one of the ways that I do think that God has built us for service, for ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, some of this is coming from me just putting pieces together of this, this, this comes from a conversation I recently had with my sister who recently had a daughter and she was talking about how, how much more um, eye contact Ellie makes. Yeah. And more yeah. smiling and more like mirroring facial expressions and more babbling kind of in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, so she's going to be so much more social. And Kendall was like, well, it's usually babies that are female are more likely to do this because, and then it just kind of got me thinking that like, I think from a social standpoint, we are more in tune to body language Mm -hmm. and we are more in tune to facial expressions and we are more in tune to the things that people don't say when they respond Mm -hmm. to questions. Well, yeah. And, you know, um, when you think mothers um, before children are, um, articulate they they need to they need to know they need to judge from um, body language from um, uh, nonverbal communication mm-hmm. uh, what their child needs and we can employ those same skills yeah with everyone around yeah. us right and that doesn't mean that every woman in the world is highly empathetic you might be a logic person maybe you're on the spectrum and so mm-hmm. like you certainly feel but you struggle to pick up on body language that's okay yeah that doesn't mean a that you're not made to see mm-hmm. or b that you're not made to serve god in this way it just means you need to and get to rely on him a little more for direction yeah and yeah. and that's okay yeah and what i'm not trying to say is like all women are the same we're not we're absolutely not i'm speaking in wide generalities here mm-hmm. at any rate that's my little soapbox. I'm going to step off of that now. No, I think I think that's a really a good um, way to go. So use those, if you're a woman, use those um, highly honed skills mm-hmm. of um, determining how somebody is feeling mm-hmm. um, as you engage your world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't get it right every time. I, you know, I remember um, a friend of mine walked into a room I was in with sunglasses on and it didn't occur to me she's wearing sunglasses because she's been crying. Mm. I just said, oh, you look like a movie star. And and then when I, a few more things happened and I picked up on where she was at and she left the room and I followed her to have a, a conversation because clearly, you know. Something wasn't okay. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's all we have to say today, other than to subscribe on your favorite app to Grow on the Go, mm-hmm. including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or you can listen anytime using the MyJoy Radio app. Mm-hmm. And we would love for you to give us a quick follow on Instagram, Grow on the Go Pod. That is it for us today on Grow on the Go. I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com. 